It's a privilege for uh, my wife and I to be here again this morning to uh, minister and to worship with you, a congregation of Sterling Orthodox Presbyterian Church. I always uh, like to plug uh, one aspect of my life, and that is that uh, my wife and I treasure the times when we uh, read the Bible together. We have a habit of reading from uh, a, little, a little document called the Daily Light. Anybody familiar with the Daily Light? A couple. Um, in the midst of uh, listening to the news and conversations all around about what's going on in our world with uh, the elections that were just mentioned and the situation at the southern border and uh, who knows what else is happening in the world, uh, we read this. From the Daily Light. Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Cast your burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain you. He has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, neither has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to God, he heard. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Then the passage we read a a few moments ago, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, or even for your body what you shall put on. Behold, the birds of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? Be not faithless, but believing. Lo, I am with you always. I brought a prop with me this morning. Do you know this one? Now, see, if you're in the back, like good Baptist people, you won't be able to see this. But this is a pretty well-known game. Do you know this game? It's called Jenga. And um, the idea is to choose a block this always this never works like it's supposed to. Oh. And pull it out. And then you replace it. And then the next person comes along and they find another block. Where is it? Uh, Anyway. (laughs) You ever get the feeling that life is like a game of Jenga? And at any moment, 
some knucklehead is going to come along and he's going to make the wrong move and the whole thing, I mean, not just the blocks, but everything is just going to crumble. I think that's reflected in the scripture. Psalms, the epistles, Jesus' words we just read. But you know, as a Bible-believing Christian person, you need to realize that your life and all things are not in a tenuous position like a bunch of blocks, but that your Heavenly Father has them firmly in His hand and nothing is going to go anywhere but where He wants them to go. This morning, I've chosen a few words from the epistle of Paul to the Hebrews, or to the Philippians, on his second missionary journey, I did drop one, on his second missionary journey, the Apostle Paul established this church in Philippi, and later he wrote a letter to this body of believers. He didn't just write it to them, however. We know that it's been preserved in our inspired scripture as a letter that God addresses to us. 2,000 years later. The letter has some specific purposes that Paul has in mind for these people. He repeatedly exhorts the Christians in Philippi to live in a manner worthy of the calling that they had received in God's grace, to understand that uh, this letter was written to Christian people and they are encouraged to live in harmony with one another in the first chapter. They're encouraged to live consistently according to the purity of the gospel that they received. And thus to live striving, ever striving toward that goal and purpose of holiness before God. Paul says that to do that, begins with a resting and relying upon the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. His righteousness imputed to them. And with the expectation of the many future blessings that that brings about. They are saints in Christ Jesus in whom God had begun to do a good work, and in whom God would bring it to completion in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the wonderful thing is that all of these exhortations that the apostle gives are given to us, I think as you read Philippians, in the context of real life, real situations, what's going on in the lives of these people. Of the whole letter, I've just chosen a few verses from the fourth chapter. If you want to follow along, I'm reading in chapter 4 of Philippians, verses 4 through 9. This is God's word, and it is true. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say, again I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence... If there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray as we look at these words. Our Father in heaven, these are your words to us from the pen of the apostle, but under the inspiration of the Spirit. We need your spirit now to help us to understand, to appreciate, and to know how uh, you're at work in our hearts to uh, mold us into the image of Christ. We pray to that end that you would do it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. These may or may not be familiar words to you, as I mentioned. As I looked at them, uh, I tried to figure out what is it that uh, brings the whole passage together. And the best thing I could come up with was the all-inclusive words that the Apostle Paul uses in these uh, words. Uh, Always. Everyone. Anything. Everything. All. Whatever is pure, and so forth. In the previous chapter, the Apostle Paul has used the style of drawing contrasts between one thing and another, between those who put confidence in the flesh and those who put confidence in the spirit. A contrast between the idea of loss and the concept of gain. A contrast between the evil workers as opposed to those who are faithful citizens of a heavenly kingdom. That method of contrast. Now, in this fourth chapter, he uses a different uh, model, a different way of communicating. In this case, he's building. He's taking one block and putting it on top of another block. But I want you to understand that Paul's blocks are not the slippery kind of blocks like Jenga games. These are Lego blocks. They fit precisely together, and they hold together uh, as Paul constructs one thing upon another. And I hope you'll see that uh, in the text this morning. Let me just uh, note that the apostle, he, he touches on some negative stuff. Negative stuff in the Bible, I think as the scripture presents it to us, is usually given to remind us that, oh yeah, that's true about me. That's the negative things. But also, he brings together three things that I think tie together toward the single end. The single end is that everyone would have the peace of God. Always about everything. Whoa, that's heavy. That is powerful. 
Let me suggest to you three R's, not reading, writing, arithmetic, but three other R's that I think are found in this text. Building blocks, if you were. Rejoice, relax, and rest. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. There's a road in uh, Scotland, in the town of Edinburgh, that runs from the wonderful castle of Edinburgh. Uh, you go down High Street, it's called the Royal Mile, the Royal Mile, uh, and uh, you, go from high, uh, you go from the castle past St. Giles. Uh, if you look quickly to the left, you can see uh, John Knox's house. Uh, it's sort of pushed beside, out there beside. That's another whole story. Uh, but at the end of the Royal Mile, you find uh, what is called the Castle of Holyrood House. This was the favorite castle of Queen Elizabeth II uh, before uh, she uh, passed away recently. Uh, I don't know if Charles goes there or not. He probably should to remember uh, his wife's uh, tradition. But tradition has it that... Um, on the occasions when the monarch actually comes to Holyrood House, they fly the Union Jack over the castle uh, walls. Uh, all of the tourists are cleaned out of the grounds, and the indication of the flag is that the monarch is in residence. When my wife, I use that as an illustration because when my wife was a teacher in high school, one of the things she did was she put on her a big wall on her classroom, a saying. And the saying was this, joy is the banner that is flown from the citadel of my heart when the king is in residence. Joy is the banner that is flown from the citadel of my heart when the king is in residence. Now the fact is that you and I can look around us Maybe even in this room, we've already done that in our prayer requests. We can look around us and see that there are some pretty significant storms raging in our world, but even in the lives that we live. All of us, all of us, at one level or another, are still wondering. What about that virus? You know, I saw a guy the other day driving down the street in the car by himself with a mask on. I don't know what you think. But at least it passed through my mind. Should I be wearing one of those things? Is is it coming again? Is one coming that's worse? You know, that's not all. There are other things to be concerned about than the virus. I'm really not concerned about the virus, by the way. But some in the congregation may have suffered a recent loss of one kind or another. Others are sick with serious illnesses. We've prayed about that. Perhaps some, someone lost their job. Some, perhaps someone 
invested in bitcoins recently. That didn't go very well. And others dealing with the turmoil of having a wandering child. Struggles in the marriage life. I can't list them all. But you can be sure of something, of one thing. And that is that every single one of us is dealing with something. Every one of us is dealing with something. Doesn't it seem a little bit unreasonable to you that Paul would write in the Bible, especially in the form of a command, rejoice. Rejoice always. Did you not hear me? I said rejoice. That's Paul. Rejoice. One might tend to think it's unreasonable, except that it's an issue that's repeated frequently in the Scripture. James says, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you fall into trials of different kinds. Yeah, right. Okay, Jesus. Rejoice when they persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you for my name's sake. In fact, the whole concept of Christian joy is rooted in the Old Testament uh, in the book of Leviticus in chapter 23 with what's called the Feast of the Booths or the Feast of the Tabernacles. It was scheduled at the harvest time. The harvest time was the most plentiful time of the year in the Jewish calendar. The crops were in. They were selling. They were making money. Everything was going great at the time of the harvest. And God said, at the time of the harvest, I want you to stop. And I want everybody to go out of their house. And I want you to build a lean-to. Live in a tent. Live in a shelter of some primitive kind. Where none of the great provisions or none of the comforts of life, the physical conditions, are uh, optimal. And he says at the end of that chapter, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, and you shall celebrate for seven days this feast. Be happy, but not because of the circumstances. Well, maybe it was easy for Paul to write this, rejoice always. Well, you know better than that. Paul went through all of the circumstances, the negative circumstances of the life, of, of life. Paul knew them all personally, the sadness of the guilt of sin. Did you hear the words of that psalm? Did they get to you that we sang a few minutes ago? I confess to thee my sin. Paul knew that. He was the chief of sinners. Suffering at the hands of unbelievers. Paul knew that. Suffering at the hands of friends. Paul knew that. Maybe even the presence of death. Paul knew that. So Paul doesn't write lightly. But the thing that you learn from Scripture is that it's not the circumstances of life. It's not the circumstances that, that determine the condition of the heart, the emotions, or even the will. In fact, if you consider that Paul 
writes here in the Philippians, he says, it's our thinking. It's the way we think that informs our emotions and our wills. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I consider everything a loss compared to finding Christ. And that's the key here. Sinclair Ferguson, his commentary, makes this note. We think the command to rejoice always to be unusual, even impossible, because we have sometimes been misled into thinking of joy, just as we tend to think of love, as primarily a matter of feelings and spontaneous emotions. These perspectives of the heart, by definition, cannot be commanded. They simply happen. But that's a distortion of the teaching of the Bible. You see, joy, real abiding joy, can be cultivated in the life of the individual Christian, independent of circumstances. And so Paul says, rejoice. That's why Paul adds here in the very passage, rejoice in the Lord. Get that? In the Lord. So how does that, how are these things building together? Joy is not in circumstances, it's in the Lord. What's the block here? The block is that we go back and consider with our minds in order to inform our emotions or our attitudes what it is that we know. What do I know? I take mental account of what I know. I am saved. I am redeemed from a life of sin in order to live a life that is truly glorifying to God. My Savior once wore a crown of thorns on his head, but now he wears an eternal crown of glory. And by the use of that crown, he reigns over everything for me and the church. Think about that. He was here, and he's coming back again. I have loved ones. I have a family. Members who are with me too in Christ. The gospel is still absolutely the best news that anyone can declare in a world that is broken. And when that gospel is spread, you know what happens? People come to Jesus. People come to Jesus. And I have the freedom. Think of these things now. Put them together. I have the freedom to go through the throne of grace to gain forgiveness when I'm guilty, wisdom when I'm stupid, strength when I'm weak, comfort when I'm afraid, and yet joy, even when I'm inclined to be sad. The bottom line is, I live in the palm of the hand of a good and absolutely sovereign God. Some of you can identify with this. Where does it all come down to? It comes down to, 
I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart to stay. Rejoice. Now the next block. Rest. I mean, relax in verse 5. He says, let your reasonableness, your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. This is an interesting Greek word uh, translated in the ESV as reasonableness. Uh, it's one that we don't have a precise word to word translation for. Hendrickson in his commentary says it combines the following. And this is for those who are. Remember the Amplified Version? Well, this is what the Amplified Version would say. Let your forbearance, genealogy, kindliness, gentleness, considerateness, charitableness, mildness, and generosity of a spirit be known to all. You get the encompassing. One of the other commentators says, it's the principle of not pressing the technicalities of justice and equality to the minute point of the issue. Let your reasonableness be known to all. What's the natural thing that's implied here? What do we say about people when, when they really get all bundled up with unnecessary concern and, and impatience? We say that they're uptight, that they're high-strung, Well, here Paul says, chill, dude. Chill. Be cool. Que pasa? Right? Relax. You need not be be concerned. So overly concerned with every minute issue of life as if you needed to control every circumstance and every person. Why? Because the Lord is near. Now, you run into some difficulty here because you can understand that word or that phrase in two different ways. The New Testament points to the fact that after the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, and since the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, The only other great thing that is going to happen before redemption is complete is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ at the end of the age. From that perspective, the New Testament tells us the Lord is near. It can happen before the end of the service. It can happen. It is near. But there's also that truth that we know from Scripture that says the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The Lord is near who call upon him to all who call upon him in truth. I love the old spiritual that says, you can't hurry, my God. No, no, you just got to wait. You got to trust him and give him time, no matter how long it takes. He's a God you can't hurry, but he'll be there. Oh, don't you worry. He may not come when you want him, but he's right on time. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. So relax 
and extend the hand of help to others, even in the face of pressure. And then the third R is rest. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Is that a strange word to consider in the light of the sixth verse? Not really. Worry is a machine. Worry is a machine. It consumes the energy of life, the energy of the mind and of the emotions. Worry consumes the energy by manufacturing all the possibilities that I have no control over. There's a woman in my church back in Charleston, South Carolina. This I'll show you how old I am. And some of you people here don't, won't even know what I'm talking about. But they used when 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 little calculators first came out. Uh, I think it was Texas Instruments that came out with the first real fancy calculators. And one of the women in the church uh, got one of these Texas Instruments calculators, and you could program program to do certain things. So I went to her house one day, and I saw her little thing on the on her desk, and the numbers were just the little red numbers, remember them? Running as fast as they could go. I said, Barbara, what are you doing? She said, I programmed it to find all of the prime numbers. I said, why? She said, because it can. (laughs) That's exactly what worry does. It consumes vast amounts of energy for really no good purpose. The practice of worry, of anxiety, is to be consumed with all those non-essential details that we come across in life, particularly the ones that we occupy our minds with to please somebody else, even to please the Lord sometimes. Worry is that addiction, that major addiction that's no less draining the resources of life than alcohol, heroin, gambling, or any other of those, quote, bad conditions. Jesus says very plainly to us, do not be anxious. But now here you see, Paul not only gives these perspectives, rejoice, relax, rest, but then he, he informs us how, how that can come about. He gives us twofold thing here. The first is, he says, pray. Pray. Bring your petitions to God in everything by prayer and with supplication. Let your requests be made known to God. Prayer is that frame of mind, that frame of mind in which in humble response to the circumstances that I'm feeling, and yet with gratitude in my heart to God, I take my needs to the Lord and I present them there to him. One author said we need to recognize that we are suspended between the past, the present, and the future blessings of God. You've heard of living in the present, acknowledging the past, looking forward to the present. Somebody in Sunday school mentioned the already and the not yet. It's all the same. 
That's what prayer is. Remembering God's promises, knowing that God is present, casting our burden upon him for the blessings of the future. And such a prayerful, prayerful perspective implies both that gratitude and that submission that we have to God, that he will take care of us, in fact. So if joy is the flag flying over the citadel, then prayer is the sentinel. Prayer is the guard on the wall of the citadel. And that's the very word that Paul uses there in verse 7. He says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then Paul builds two more blocks. It's getting to be a pretty tall building, isn't it? Yes, it is. Two more blocks. Verse 8, feed your brain. That's my translation. Feed your brain. Finally, brothers... Whatever is pure, honorable, just, pure, uh, on, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, praiseworthy. Think about these things. All of our human minds will always set their focus upon something. We will focus upon something as a primary thing. We will concentrate on that. And the normal, for many of us, is to think about the negative. Now, I have to stop here. This is not Zig Ziglar here. This isn't Joel Osteen talking. This is Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ, writing under the inspiration of the scripture. And he says, put these kinds of things in your mind because they will be beneficial to you in living. Take the challenge this week. I'm not going to go through the list. You can do that. Take the challenge this week in your devotions. Write down some examples of that which is true and lovely and commendable and pure and meditate on those things and see what happens. You might just rejoice, relax, and rest. In addition, Paul adds an additional element as the final exhortation. Find an encourage, find an encouraging model. It's interesting, isn't it? Verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. You can find somebody that you know, somebody that you trust. You can... Find a Christian book, get a recommendation from your pastor, your elders, something to read. Great books are out there to read. Pilgrim's Progress, read it again. Fox's Book of Martyrs, Knowing God, Holiness by J.C. Ryle, any of those, and many, many, many more. Many have gone before us and have rejoiced and relaxed and rested. Paul leaves us with this singular, simple benediction. The God of peace will be with you. Isn't that what we want? We want peace in our time. Give to us that peace.
peace of mind, peace of heart, peace in life, all to the glory of God. In the last words of Jesus to his disciples, as he gathered with them there in the upper room on the night before he was betrayed, At the end of the chapter, which he began with, don't let your hearts be troubled. At the end of that chapter, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you, not as the world gives to you, I give to you. Now, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Not as the world. That's not where peace comes from. It's not based on circumstances. It's the peace of Christ that he has purchased with his own blood on the cross and imputed to us and is working in us even now by his spirit. Jeremiah tells us that the pattern of the world is to cut out cisterns to hold the water of life. And yet every cistern that we, can, that we construct out of what the world has to offer is full of holes And whatever water that would satisfy us just leaks out. No real peace. Rejoicing, resting, relaxing peace comes from those precious words. Fear not, little flock. I am with you always. Always, even to the end of the world. And that peace always has its source in God himself as he ministers it to us through the work of God of his son, Jesus Christ. We remember the perfection and the sufficiency of that work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Living, dying, rising again, ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of God as we come to the table of the Lord this morning. We're reminded of that. This is the table of the peace of God that rules over the hearts of his people. It's spread for us this morning as we come to God through Jesus and through him alone. And believer, I just trust that as you partake of the elements this morning, that you can be assured again that you are at peace with God, with a new life by his spirit, forgiven of your sins, clothed with the perfect righteousness of Christ as you come before your heavenly Father. Take the bread, drink the small bit of wine, and thus rejoice, rest, and relax in the arms of your Father in heaven. May this be our experience today. Let's pray to that end. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your word. We thank you that it touches our lives and ministers to us the grace of the Lord Jesus. He lived that we might live. He died that we might be forgiven. Now he reigns over us as our Savior and as our King. We rejoice in the privilege that we have to come before you. I pray, Lord, that as uh, there may be, of folks in the congregation this morning who do not know the peace of Christ, that would use these words spoken to Christians and realize that only believers can have that peace and that you would draw them to yourself. 
even as they come. In Jesus' name, amen.